Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Big Jim is wearing his heel. I definitely huge periods of my career where I was in Haven and I was more than willing to, to die for the cause. He quickly gets rushed to Paddington Hospital. They induce him into a coma and he's fighting for his life. He's had a, I think, brain aneurysm. Or, no, and he's got three kids at home. I know that. And all I'm thinking is, I'm a dad now and what on earth is this all about, this boxing game? When it comes to boxing, you shut the gym door, boom, that's just, it's all about me. You know, I'm in there, I'm a killer, I'm ruthless. But then I, I stopped using that phrase, like I didn't want to be a killer anymore. Mm. Um, didn't want that killer instinct. Couldn't leave the sport without a world title though. I was totally aware that the fight left me and that's why I could retire at 30 with peace, with peace and, and have no itch, no itch to come back. On this episode, I'm joined by a world champion. I'm absolutely buzzing for it because I'm a huge boxing fan. It's the wonderful, and he is powerful, George Groves. George Groves. Saint George Groves. I've put the England flag just behind you. Mate, what a, an honour for me. I'm a big boxing fan. I don't know much about it. I'm that big a boxing fan that I actually paid the pay-per-view for what wasn't a boxing match between Jake Paul and uh, Tommy Fury. So, mate, it's an honour to have you here. Oh, you're sweet. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for having us on. Well done for supporting the cause. And you've paid you know, you've paid your dues and we've watched uh, uh, Jake Paul take on uh, Tommy Fury in a sanctioned professional bout, which I've yet to see uh, how my hands up. I haven't quite seen it. I've, in fact, I haven't seen either of them ever fight. But... Um, I've almost put a, a flag in that as, as a, a stake of pride and I'm going to try and hold out for as long as possible. I get asked a lot of questions about this sort of stuff so I have to take a stab in the dark. But I know um, a former opponent of mine, Badu Jack, was on the card and he became two slash three weight world champion depends on whether you class his light heavyweight belt as the full full world title or not. But um, congratulations to him. He went up to cruiserweight and then beat Makabu to become the WBC cruiserweight champion at 39 years of age. So yeah. Uh, Brilliant result for him. Yeah, Badu Jack was proper. And it's so good that you've segued away straight from the main event, which it was. <laughs> but the Badu Jack fight was like that was a proper boxing match. And I have to bring it up. It's just timing, really, the fact that we're recording on the Tuesday after that happened. Because there is all this hysteria, right, around the YouTubers, KSI, Jake Paul. And again, I, I'm sold up the river. I got sold on Mayweather and McGregor. And I swore I'd never do it again. But there was something about the build-up in this fight. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was Tyson Fury involved. As an ex-professional who dedicated their life to boxing, and I think you've kind of answered it because you said you didn't watch it, I think Jake Paul came out on Instagram and said he made £30 million. Like That must be sickening when you see that unfold. Well, each to their own, do you know what I mean? It's, if you can make money, then 
I don't begrudge it to anyone. And and the older I get, the less it would bother me. If I was sort of maybe still trying to emerge as, as a pro, that might be a little bit more difficult to swallow. But um the danger the danger will always be that you're losing real sports fans to this. Whereas we're always told that no, 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 these are different sets of people. You've got your boxing fans or your sports fans, casual sports fans, and then you've got the people that follow the entertainment side of things like a YouTuber or just a celebrity influencer, that sort of thing. And there'll be this crossover where you'll get both. If you're an 11-year-old kid and you you want to join the gym, whose route do you want to go down? Do you want to go down a Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua? Anthony Joshua takes up boxing late but go, gets part of the England uh, team, the GB team, goes, wins a medal for his country, then turns professional, becomes a heavyweight world champion. Or do you go the fame i'd like the fame that the fame sounds really good uh, and that might be a slightly easier route and then you can have that sort of crossover but uh, you know each to their own i i don't blame anyone for for being interested in it but i think it is very different you know it's it's um usually it's people within boxing that are trying to make a case for the standard of youtube boxing as such and say that you know they come away from it's not it's just entertainment they want to describe it as authentic that's where you're gonna you you know that's where it sort of is a little bit more difficult to to swallow there's so many avenues now to basically earn money in boxing before when it was boxing it was just boxing but you might have you know before pay-per-view say in the uk you'd have there'd only be a really small amount of tv slots where you could get in and basically make money so you'll all be keep competing for them spots then there's pay-per-view, uh, which was dominated by Sky Sports. And again, they can't they can't really have more than four pay-per-view shows a year to actually have good quality events that you can promote and actually find the fights that warrant pay-per-view. Now it's moved on because Sky want to do more pay-per-views, BT do pay-per-views, ITV, I've boxed on an ITV pay-per-view show. There's subscription channels for boxing now that now also do pay-per-views. There are these one-off boxing uh, one of sports channels that have pay-per-view shows so it's pay-per-view we're used to paying for it we don't mind paying for it mm. so ultimately you're not taking an opportunity away from if there's only th- four opportunities to earn money it's, you'd always hope that it'll go to the fighters who deserved it uh now there's oh, there's multiple every month there's something big going on so uh, you know eat to run and the, and the boxers will always be okay they'll always do okay boxing mm. is one of them sports where you have to have a personality as well you have to have a, a dance partner you have to be in good fights but you're there to to promote yourself as well you know maybe not the case with rugby definitely not the case with football and other sports team sports where you get you get l- like generational support you know your dad supported this football team so you all inherit that you go every week it doesn't matter who the manager is who the players are whether they go up or down the league how they play you'll always be there whereas fighters you end up backing individuals so um and you go on a journey with them it's it's kind of why i think it's, it's what's really special about boxing and why it captures a lot of fans in a totally different way um it's just as if not more emotional than football because you will go on a journey with with a particular fighter and um you can experience their ups and downs highs and lows along the way i'll come on more to that because i love boxing and the reason is is because i can't imagine how difficult it is and we'll go back through the archives which has been brilliant for me to go back and look at some of the old fights and the build-up and that but just to finish on the fury jake paul 
let's call it a fight. Like they got in the ring and it's not an easy thing to do. But the hysteria that's brought around that, you mentioned you've got kids, I've got kids. The way that society is now, it's probably significantly softer than when we were growing up in terms of the social media, living on iPads, living on screens. The Saudi Arabia effect on the boxing community, but also sport to a degree, look at what they're doing in football as well. But they went all out, like as in Mike Tyson, one of the greatest is there, Deontay Wilder, obviously Tyson Fury's in the corner of his brother. All the promoters are there. Your old dance partner, Carl Froch, is in the studio. They've gone big on it. Before the main fight, they were like, look, a lot of you won't have watched boxing and they went through the whole kind of promo stuff. But the fact that Carl Froch is sat there, you can see he's shaking his head. He's thinking, I want a piece of this as well. But surely a bit there's a bit of positivity around the next generation coming through who watch that, who are in, <laughs> inspired to get in the ring and cuddle. Yeah, maybe, 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 maybe. Um, Saudi went big. I don't know whether they pay uh, just uh, you know a site fee just to get the guys over there, whether they're on an upside of some sort of pay-per-view. It goes pay-per-view worldwide. I know... Uh, pay-per-view is expensive in the States, and if people are going to pay for it for, for Paul, then that's a lot of money coming in. Mike Tyson would have got paid a fortune. I mean, it's Mike Tyson I, I assume, would have got paid a fortune. I assume they weren't there for the boxing. It's, you know, if someone had said, you want to come to Ali Frazier, uh, you know, Rumble in the Jungle, um, before it happened, you'd probably go, yeah, you'd probably pay mm. a lot of money to go. Did you want to be at Mayweather Pacquiao for the sentimental reason? Yeah. Do you want to be at Jake Paul? Tommy Fury, probably not. You yeah. know, if you got to go to Saudi for it, then probably not. But I'm sure that they, everyone's there. You know, everyone, and there's there's a value to it. It's it retired fighters, and now they gravitate towards this sort of stuff that we're doing now, Jim. You know, mm. you you end up in this sort of media side, and um, who better to learn from than Jake Paul? Like he's he's cracked it. He's he, I don't know how, why, where, when, but. You know, he's he's a mega star, if one knows him. Yeah. And, Fifth uh, highest paid athlete. Fifth highest paid athlete last yeah. year. Hundreds of millions of pounds. Mental. And he can't box. <laughs> he'd, he'd, he'd box my head off. You'd kill him. Like, well, surely. You, you don't have to You don't have to adhere to a standard for boxing. That's the thing. Like, mm. then you're talking about getting a, oh, would he get a pro license? It's like, anyone can get a pro license as long as you're healthy. Uh, and as long as you can shadow box for 30 seconds, uh, you're you're past the the criteria for being professional boxer. They won't deny anyone a living. Could they go and play professional football, or professional rugby? And would you want to watch it? They would just get, they couldn't do it, could they? They get mangled, like because unless they're going to play rugby with someone, another YouTuber, or football with another YouTuber, they're never going to reach a professional standard. But uh, but boxing, anything goes. So is is what it is. Not just saying this because you're here. That fight with Froch in November 2013 I remember it being good and then for the listeners or my listeners that for me it was one of the best fights I have ever seen but not just fights it was the build-up and one thing I want to ask you before we talk about the fight one thing I really admire about boxers even going back to that fight the weekend the pressure that Tommy Fury must have been under on that ring walk all the media hysteria before all the trash talk I played rugby, right, and I'd be shitting myself sometimes going out, mm. going out to play. Not like How does that feel? I think everyone's different. I mean, I was, um, yeah, no, no. I mean, got to be honest, and it's not just saying it. There was no real wobbles. There was no real doubt. It was just in a real me versus the world mind frame. Um, yeah, yeah, mind frame. So, like, it was... That was it. You know, once the fight was made, the first fight was made, it was about 10 weeks out. I sort of fell out with my coach at the time. 
uh, who was also my manager, someone who had sort of took care of everything for me in terms of being a professional. The working relationship had come to an end. So it's like, well, what can I do? Like, um, I can just get on with it. I know what I'm doing now. The fight's been made. The, the business side of it, which is really tricky, has been done. If I go out there and just beat this guy, then the world is at my feet. So that's what I did. I had to put together, um, well, just take over. It was really liberating. It was quite exciting, to be honest. Um, I mean, it was one of the most exciting times of my life because, um, first of all, uh, for the first time, I was able to just lead my ship, take the ball by the horns and go whichever direction I wanted to go. And um, I put together a new team. I was already working with... A chap called Dan Lawrence, who's my strength coach. I brought in a conditioning coach. I brought in a different boxing coach. I had to find a new gym. Um, I had to take care of all the managerial problems and things that arise. You know, I shared a lawyer with uh, my my old coach, so I couldn't go to the lawyer for legal advice because he was conflicted. So he was sort of out of it. So all these, you know, even juggling tickets because. You know, people wanted to come to this fight, uh, and it came back. You know, I, but I really enjoyed just being in control really I became a real control freak at the time delegated the the roles that I needed to do but it sort of had was was the was the boss on top and micromanaging a little bit but uh yeah come fight night uh I fight Froch um at the end of November 2013 and um put in a really good performance um I don't think anyone believed how, how good I was gonna be yeah nearly got rid of him early on in the fight he weathered the storm but it was you know, one-sided beatdown for him. And then uh, the controversial stoppage at the end. So that just played into the instant sort of demand for, for justice, really. Well, that's how I was trying to interpret it. And that's what I was trying to orchestrate. So again, it's me on my own. I ain't really got a team. I haven't got, you know, a, a media sort of agent. I haven't got a, a manager. I haven't got a promoter. I got, I, you know, I've, just, I've got to sort of use this to my advantage, steer the ship in the direction I want to go and hope for the best. So that's, that's pretty what, pretty much what I did. Managed to get, get the rematch. Uh, flew myself out to New York, uh, into New Jersey and, um, appealed with the IBF who was one of the sanctioning bodies who I was mandatory for, for the belt with, um, said, look at this decision. It's, it's no good. They agreed. They reinstated me as a, as a mandatory. So whether I could get a rematch with Froch or not, my next fight was going to be for a world title. So that was a big piece of the puzzle done. I knew then Froch's character, even though he had a terrible time the first time around and the last thing he wanted is another fight with me, he, he wouldn't let his pride sort of get in the way of... Um, he'd never live it down. I wouldn't let him. So uh, I was confident we'd get the fight and uh, we ended up at Wembley Stadium, which was... Uh, a post-war attendance record for boxing. It, it was sort of, it was being billed as as a, a you know a new wave sort of something brand new boxing going to a new horizons in this country, and that was daunting. That was probably the only time where there is a bit of a wave of yeah, a bit of a wobble, a bit of like, well, what is this? What do I do? There's no one who I could turn to for advice. No one, no one's done it before. Like, how do you how do you approach this? What's it gonna feel like? Um, yeah, you are making them snap decisions in the moment, trying to do what's right. You ain't really got too much time to second guess yourself. I knew what it took to get fit and get healthy. Uh, so do that, put in as much work as you can in the gym. I knew that I had to build the fight, sell the fight as big as I possibly could so that once I win, then, you know, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm at the top of British boxing because of just one at Wembley Stadium with no manager, no promoter, then I can just have a little breather and go, all right, well, 
let's take our time, see what see what happens, see what we can do, see, not rush into a decision, not be owed anything to anyone, not be in anyone's debt. So um, yeah, we went big, went big on the promotion, um, and then yeah, it, it, I mean it nearly it nearly paid off. It nearly nearly paid off. Um, we end up at Wembley Stadium. The fight's a little bit more cagey, a bit more of a chess match. Both of us were a bit worried. Uh, probably about you know making a mistake i thought the fight was going well it was going to our sort of game plan what we thought we thought we'd start a little bit cagey pick up the rounds with boxing ability and then jump on in the second half of the fight and then as soon as it sort of starts to ramp up you make a mistake you switch off for a split second and boom <laughs> frotch lands a, a, an amazing right oh, it was unreal uh, my head rolls. Um, I hit the deck. I mean, I've been down before in my career, amateur and pro. I've been down in sparring, um, but I've never been down that heavy. I mean, it's not long. You come to like, but by the time I come to, I'm I'm up at like six or seven, but the referee's already waved it off. The fight's over. Um, so yeah, I mean that's not nice. And, and even then, though, Jimmy, it's not like, even at the end of that fight. There's no. There's no doubts. There's no 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 real wobbles. There's no um, questions of of your ability. It's just, I mean, frustration, sure, but just yeah, a little bit of sadness because you're like, oh man, that was the first time in my career where I learned that it's not always who wants it most, who's going to bite down the gum shield. Where's the effort going to come from? Dig deep. It's like, yeah, sure, you need all that, but also you make a mistake. So I want to switch the lights out. So um, that was tough. Mate, you've done a brilliant job in explaining the two fights there and the journey, which is brilliant. That first fight, I want to go back to that because you did speed over it. And I think you kind of mentioned that you went to the US to talk about the decision uh, or the early stoppage. Firstly, that first round, as you probably know, 30 seconds longer, he's out of there and everything looks completely different. And I remember the early stoppage I remember, and you see people's reactions in the crowd. I remember watching it live back then I couldn't believe it I couldn't believe he stopped it like does that something that big in that big occasion and I don't know whether it was but that looked like the very best version of you for me you were by far the best fighter that that fight like do you relive that moment or not like is or is it you passed it is that gone now yeah I mean now I can put it to bed so I mean, my story now, Jim, is that I win a world title at the fourth attempt. So as rock bottom as getting knocked out of Wembley Stadium is, um, there's still a few more chapters to go. But um, I, I, it was difficult for me to work out where where the problem started as such. But then it wasn't until I think I, I won I won the belt in the end where I could go, wow, I think it goes right the way back to that first fight mm-hmm. with Froch where Howard Foster stops the stops belt because I came out feeling like a winner. I came out thinking I'm a champion without the belt. We were the people's champion. People were raging. Yeah, that, I stopped. mean, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that was humbling. That was lovely. It's probably my mum and dad, whether they be it or not, I think it's one of their favourites, if not their favourite moment in boxing because um, I know they were worried because I was being obnoxious in the build-up. You know, I was I was cavalier, I was brash, I was cocky. Like I'd gave Froch zero credit for his achievements, but that was always part of the plan. You know, I was always going to do that because you always, you always. We talk about it throughout, like a blanket, um, blanket comment at your opponent just to find is there any insecurities? Is there anything that I can sort of delve into? That's what I used to like to do. And then Froch, I felt like, oh, he, 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 he,
something a bit needy about him. I know he, he talks about himself a lot at this point in time and he's just starting to break through as a mega star. Like, so he would want, if I come out and I say, I've got so much respect for Carl. I think he's doing it. He's, he's a great ambassador of British boxing, incredible fighter. I'm going to go out and do the best job I could do. Right. I knew people will go, Oh, that's nice. You know, and Frotch will be like, yeah, he's right. But I didn't want to, I didn't want him to pat me on the head or pat me on the bum and say, well done, son, off you go. I'll see you on fight night. I wanted him to be spitting feathers. And I wanted people at home to be spitting feathers too because then they're talking about the fight and we're on. So that was always part of their game plan. And I can remember my mum being like, oh. I was like, mum, don't worry. I said, they might be they might be on my back now, but once I beat him, then this stuff all gets forgotten about us. So, not to be cruel, but you're just like, this is how fickle the sports game is. You know, you they can only see snippets of what, no one knows who I am personally. They're just seeing what they're seeing here and here and there, the sound bites, the clickbaits that are coming out to promote this fight. And then, you know, the thing, the thing that's said is that, you know, I got booed on the way in and, and cheered on the way out. And that was lovely. It was amazing. If you ever want to be the man in the arena, you ever want to be the gladiator, it's kind of what, what you, what you'll fight for, uh, the roar of the crowd. And there and then, at that moment, um, there was nothing, nothing sweeter. I couldn't, I couldn't really enjoy it because I didn't win. I mm. knew I had so much more work to do. I knew that at this point, no one's, no one's making an effort to help me. Uh, in fact, it felt like people were making an effort to sabotage me. Like, uh, why has this happened? Was it the promoters' fault? Is it, is it corruption somewhere else? Is it, is it just a massive error of judgment from the referee? Is it the hype that's been around Frotch for so long that, you know, he's a warrior, he's a championship fighter, he'll catch me late, I'll gas out and he'll stop me late? Has he bought into that? So, yeah, I'm just thinking, right, well, how do I get this rematch? How do I get a rematch? Even before I've even climbed out of the ring, I'm sitting on the ring apron and I'm thinking, what's Cole going to say? If Cole gives me no credit, then I've got, a, I'm practicing my sort of buttery eyes thinking, what is, what looks, what, what will people buy into my story right now um, well he came out that he was he was sat when you both got interviewed next to each other and he's like oh it was a fair stoppage he was looking down it and with, with the right it with the left mm. he's an experienced referee yeah i mean he's still he's he, we go on tour together now and he still rolls those uh those lines out and he doesn't but he doesn't move he's not exactly cheek now. surely yeah yeah no, he's a wind up now oh is he uh, well you never know it depends which shows he must up be. but the same with me some days are I'll let him go, let him off a few things, some days not. But um, Did the referee ever come out and say, because in rugby, if a referee makes a, a bad decision, he'll generally say to the coach, all the players are fucked up. And No, 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 that, that don't happen in boxing. It would have been nice, I think it would have been nice just to have, it would only have been nice if he'd said what I wanted him to say to me, because if he'd sort of stood by what he'd said, it, it you know, stood by what he thought, if he says, oh, I thought you... I the thing they say in boxing is um, it's better to be stopped one punch early than one punch too late. But um, it's not really a fair to, thing to say, really, because that one punch too early cost me a world title that night. And it and who's who's you to say that it was one punch too early? You know, when you watch it back, I'm not in any problem, not in any trouble. I'm not. It was that's that's where it's the most bizarre thing for 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 me and for everyone at the time. But that's how it goes. I mean, it's, it's sport. It's last, but I kind of wouldn't change the rules of, of boxing, and I'm happy that the referees don't speak out publicly and try and defend their decisions. I think we wouldn't. I don't want the VAR in boxing. I don't really want anything like that. You can go and appeal a decision, or you can go to the who you're licensed with the British Boxing Board of Control. But 
he was a British Boxing Board of Control um, referee, so you know they were like, oh, "Yeah, we st- we stand with Howard." So it's like, mm. okay, cool. But I saw Howard recently, actually, first time in well a long time, and um, he's uh, since that fight he had judged a couple of my fights, and I think he'd even ref one of my fights. So it was all a bit of an elephant in the room that we hadn't quite broke the ice. And I saw him the other day at a weigh-in um, for the Chris Eubank Jr. and Liam Smith fight. And uh, I think it was his grandson who asked for a picture. So I was like, yeah. And then I said, Howard, come me and you and have a picture. So I had a picture of Howard Foster, which was good. Because on my podcast that week, we had um, Mike Bassey, uh, who's an England, well, um, a GB Olympic referee on. So it was kind of uh, befitting that week as well, because uh, it was all about the refs. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Man, it's a crazy world. So I, I could listen to you for two or three hours, just, just talk about it. I really could. The fact that you're self-promoting, you're sorting tickets out for your mates, you've sat your coach, like, or everything. People just see the glory or the defeat and that's it. And they think, oh, they've got loads of people around them. It's not easy to be a boxer, but everything's looked after. And mm-hmm. I come from a team environment where everything was done. You go out there and you perform or underperform if you were me. But that's a lot. Do you, do you think there's a part of it where there's this old school social class, salt of the earth, like working class to do that? Because it's crazy. There's millions of pounds. Like we're not talking like bits and bobs of money. Like these are multi 10 million pound plus fights and you're there basically yeah. sweeping the sheds yeah, as well. Yeah, no, no, I'm... I'm- I'm a humble guy from humble backgrounds. Um, my first, my first real job was working on a building site for sixty pound a day. You know, so I, uh, I did that while I was in amateur boxing, and I quit that job after a year to concentrate on my amateur boxing. I always backed myself for boxing, but um, everything's always an investment in yourself. You always got to hope that you stay fit and healthy, and you carry on winning. And you're, you can be involved in the big fights. You're commercially friendly, and you've got a few dance partners to, to roll around with because otherwise um, if you don't have that then it's very hard to get to the top level in boxing mm. if you're not like a heavyweight or something like that so um, but I was playing poker the whole time this whole time so we're negotiating the rematch for Wembley Stadium and I've I'm trying to be as maverick as and off key and, and weird even as possible so um, at a meeting with Eddie Hearn the promoter who ends up promoting the fight, but he's Carl Frotch's promoter. And I don't know whether they just had a handshake agreement, fight by fight, or whether they Frotch was signed in or whatnot. And he goes, right, so Frotch wants the rematch now. I was like, great. I said, well, he's got to have it anyway, or I'll fight for the belt. He's like, yeah, okay. So um, 
you, you talk about terms you signed? I said, no, no, no. I said, I'm thinking about promoting the fight myself. <laughs> He's like, well, you haven't got a promoter's license. I said, oh, that's enough by the by. I'll find someone. All I need is a name on a poster, a promoter. That'd be easy. So, well, where are you going to stump up the money? I said, well, if I can't get Frotch to do a deal, we'll go to purse bid. So purse bid, in um, if it's a mandatory for world title, you can apply for a purse bid where it's sealed bids. You write down how much you're willing to pay for the fight. Um, they work out a percentage that goes to the champion and a percentage that goes to the challenger. And that's what the split is. Now, IBF's not particularly that fair for a a mandatory who wasn't in the top one or two, which was what I was. So I'd have been on like 15% of a purse split. So if this fight's worth 10 million, I'd only get one and a half million on a, on a purse bid. But I'll bid, I've got to bid at least 10 million to win this. I'm thinking if this is worth 10 million, whereas Eddie Hurd might say, listen, Carl, I don't, I can't bid 10 million, but I'll bid 12, right? Uh, so we definitely get it. Yeah, old Grovesy boy over there, he's going to get 15% of that 12. So, you know, he's on, I don't know, one point, I haven't done a math, 1.7 or something. I can't afford to pay you the remainder. But if you do a side deal for me for, you know, a percentage of profits, then we run the show. And we've got home advantage and we do everything our way and we'll fuck him about. So I'm like, Eddie, sorry, I, I know I can do maths, mate. I understand boxing. I said, I'm I'm going to Monaco next week to watch the Golovkin fight. I'm meeting a couple of my friends out there. So, uh, you know, blagging it, trying to make out. I'm doing, uh, I'm meeting, you know, Russian billionaires in Monaco. Following week, I'm doing site visits at Twickenham Stadium because I'm not far from there. I'm like, you know, I live near Twickenham. I said, oh, I'm there all the time. I train there. That's 80,000. You can have, have a run at Wembley, but... Twickenham are really keen for this. I mean, they've started doing live events. I think they've had Adele on last week or they got, I don't know, Beyonce, whoever it was. It might have been a take that. So we're going to have a go at this. So we're just trying to be really maverick, trying to get trying to get a good deal. Um, managed to get a, a, an improved deal because ultimately I, I didn't want the responsibility of promoting. As, as invincible as I felt I was at that point, I think that would have been a, certainly a step too far. You had to give you the best chance you can give yourself. Um, and for me at that point was just being kind of ruthless and kind of you know, maverick and just off key. No, if you're unpredictable, then you're very hard to control, um, especially in boxing. And um, and say it's not a team environment. You haven't really got to get on with an immediate team. You haven't got a, you haven't got someone else's. Someone else is not choosing your coach or your your manager. You choose it. And if you, you know. So it's, it's, it's liberating, it's, it's fun in that way, but it's also just more choices can mean more pressure. We saw the Conor McGregor effect in UFC, just talking shit, trash talking, the press conferences are steering, the build-up to the second fight as well. There was the big moment that went viral where he went to shake hands across the table and he's pulled you towards him. Was all that legit or was there a talk before, like, as in let's try and sell this second, because it didn't need selling like people knew what they were going to get off the back of the first fight but mm. in terms of when you look at the fight like again going back to the one at the weekend or when you watch Mayweather fights the build up there's all this kind of drama and hysteria and there's a big hug at the end like how much do you guys really hate each other in the lead up to that oh I despised Cole um in the build up to that and for, <laughs> for years after um so with us it was always authentic we're just we're cut that way it's our personalities you i think and people that's why it was so big people could tell it was genuine there was nothing staged 
Sky Sports are the ones who are promoting this, and they don't, you know, no one really does it better than them. You know, I can, I, I'll happily say that you'd be contracted to have media uh, meetups obligations. So the one with the handshake, that's called the gloves are off. So they'll get you into the studio, and you're there. It's, it's weird because you know you're going for a row. You know they're going to ask you questions that are, you know, going to antagonise you. Or they, Johnny's good at yeah, that think, though, isn't he? Johnny's good at it, but I mean, it's not hard at that point. You know, anything can set, to set you off. Um, Johnny's just got sort of, just a slight little wind up, and then I hope for hope something ignites. And that one, I remember that one. I haven't, I've never watched it because I wasn't really happy with it. Because I remember trying too hard. So at that point, Carl Froch had um, employed a sports psychologist that he'd met um, in Sheffield, and this guy was I can't remember his name now, um, but this guy was up there working with a lot of the Olympic athletes. I don't think that, not even just boxing. And they'd sort of become friends. And I don't think they were proper therapy sessions from what he told me. It's more like just a bit of counselling, a bit of chat. And basically just advised him, just don't engage with me. Like if you can't, if, if I wind him up that much, then just ignore me. So at that point, there'd been a few things where I tried to, you know, I'm casting out, I'm hoping I'll get a bite, casting out, nothing. And then because I knew this show was going to be big, I think I just tried a little bit too hard. It reminds me of boxing because when you try too hard, you stiffen up, you tense up and then you nothing flows and the shots don't don't land. And uh, it was the equivalent on, on that show where I sort of tensed up, I tried a bit too hard uh, and nothing really landed. You know, I'm trying to just wind him up. I'm just trying to get a reaction. Every time we meet, I want him to leave doubting himself. And there's various different ways you can do that of course all down to the individual it's it's not nice you know when, when, sometimes when i describe it back it's like you're trying to bully someone you know no one likes a bully but well that's what it was like in the the, the last weigh-in where he's like you're scared mm. like look at you shitting yourself like he's screaming at you and i'm shitting myself yeah. when i see that like genuinely <laughs> i think am i i feel i can handle myself in like amongst smaller humans you know played rugby a little bit but watching that and that is what intrigues me so much like do you have a psychologist or not you just go out there no 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 no, just you had no one helping you (laughs) with your mindset i was a bit ignorant to it off back i backed myself and in some ways i thought it was a sign of weakness i mean it never is if you can get help of course but my point was that like if i can i don't want to i don't want to ham it home but if i can get cole thinking oh he thinks that's a sign of weakness then that that'll bother him i know that um because he's a strong man, he's a proud man. So there was loads, loads of ways that, that you know, loads of different things that that's what you'd be angling for. Um, I want to come across as strong. I want to come across as confident. I want to come across as um, in control. Uh, so, you know, not dragging my answers short and sharp. I'd look, pay attention, listen, be present. Um, and these are just things that I would be thinking beforehand. But then ultimately, when it comes down to it, you are just in the flow you know you just got to shoot from the hip and and go with it uh and you never know what the other guy's going to do you 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 know you'll never have a certain answer so yeah i would have thought there would have been nothing at the way in but at the same time i know that's the very last time we're going to come together so even if he's been suppressing the the desperation to bite at me or to intimidate me it will all come out then and if it comes out then what what do i want do i want to bark back straight away Will that work, or do I want to just be nonchalant? Do I want to um, try and mug him off? Do I just want to be like, just accept it, absorb it? Um, 
I think at that point I was thinking, right, well, if he if he if he does come for me, then I'll just be like, cool, you know, relaxed, calm. I'd, I feel like I'd made that mistake with the with the gloves were off where I tightened up. So now from there on in, just come with a much more relaxed, calm and self assured posture you know to be on it fight night and then fight night because when you, you leave and then you come back next time you see each other is shirts are off gloves are on you're in the ring there's always a different demeanor as well like it's never that highly charged like it is in the lead up because yeah. i imagine everyone's extremely nervous you want to stay controlled and all of these things and the bright lights and the fans and that long walk and the anthems if there's anthems the music and all that stuff it's uh yeah. So what would it be like for you when you're playing? So you've pretty much got to do the same thing where you'd have national anthems maybe sometimes. Yeah. And then how long is the wait from, say, how long have you got from change room, leaving change room to that first whistle going for the kickoff? Yeah, quite a while. I mean, not that you would have watched any of my career playing for Scotland, but I had a big issue with discipline. So fighting, red cards, yellow cards, a penalty machine, like people, it was just... It didn't become a standing joke, but it became my legacy, effectively. You put in YouTube, Jim Hamilton, you're not seeing tries or <laughs> offloads, you're seeing fights. Because I had this red mist, similar maybe background to yourself, Council State in Coventry, military background, worked on a building site. It was everything for me. And I, and where rugby is, is probably similar to boxing in a way. It's a contact sport. It's physical. The difference maybe is is that it's every single week. So you're having to do that every week. You're having to get yourself to the emotionally charged level. In answer to your question, you'd have the week build-up for training. And if it was a big international match, whether it be a Six Nations or you face the All Blacks doing the hacker and the emotion leading up to that, you go out, you do your warm-up and stuff. And I remember I'd be fucking fired up in the warm-up because the, the crowd's there, the atmosphere... You're about to play one of the best teams in the world. You go back in the changing rooms. There's a load of shouting again. You know, some of the front row, the big props and stuff, of headbutting each other, punching each other. You're talking 15 minutes until the game. So then you go out into the tunnel. You're lined up. You're eyeballing your opposition. You run out, and because of where rugby is, it's quite fluffy. You're having to shake all the dignitaries' hands. That's another 10 minutes. Then you sing the anthems. So you're talking 20 minutes from when you're headbutting each other in the changing room. And then you've got 80 minutes to get through. Mm. And I remember 20 minutes into a game, and this is why the psychology part is really interesting, but 20 minutes into the game, I am fucked. Absolutely fucked. And I've not even spoke about the build-up where you've got the headphones on, the music, and you're pumping, and you know, you're, like, you're buzzing. And then the night before and the excitement, in hindsight, in my career, I wish I did it differently. I did towards the end once I had kids and I realised my career was coming to an end. I wanted to take it all in. But the psychology element, I was similar to you. I didn't have a psychologist. It's massive now in sport. I wish I did because I think I would have gone in with much more control and clarity. So what happens after 20 minutes? Are you hanging out I'm for fast. the rest of the game? Yeah, I, I'm not. You don't not, have a second wave on a no. you, you do get a second win, but it's like you've lost your mind. You've, lost that, you've probably lost that second wind of emotion straight after kickoff. Like yeah. the emotion's been built up before, but there's no one talking to you saying, right, have you thought about this? And... Like there was an old school element, and back then it was very different. Now it was, mm. you know, you'd be saying to me, "I'm going to fuck you up." You know, I'm. You'd be punching people, you'd be kicking people. It's very different mm. how it is now. So was that just? That's just the culture of it, where you got the props going for it twenty minutes before mm. the game. No one was settled. No one was calm. 
or was it encouraged to be it was encouraged hyped? yeah yeah it was encouraged and people would be different right you would have you'd have fly halves we've got a lad called Finn Russell who plays for Scotland he's one of the best players in the world just plays with a smile on his face he's you know he's not in the best shape he's like a lad just straight from the pub not fired up at all you know the, the whole Maradona thing when he's warming up da, 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 <laughs> when he's juggling the ball like completely relaxed but I just think probably our generation of athletes, the mental side, just wasn't there mm. at all. You got so boxing. You'll have you come out. You want to be warm in the changing room, but then like fire. You'd like you'd be firing shots off on the pads, and these would be the best shots you've ever thrown. You know, these are faster than you've ever thrown in camp. But then as soon as I felt it, that was it. That's enough. And you didn't want to hit that too soon. You know, this is literally minutes before. So. You know, the uh, it's usually Ralph who would be the um, the guy who comes in and gives you the time. You've got five minutes, you know, four minutes, one minute ring walk, and then you're out. And then yeah, you'll have a, you'll have a long old ring walk, maybe a bit of performance, and then you've got to wait for the opponent to come in. And then sometimes national anthems, I'd always try and uh, elbow them out because it's like we know what the national anthem is, mm. and we just want to get on with the fight. Uh, so you could have a good ten to fifteen minutes before you go. So you got you got to stay focused but like not wasting any energy because obviously there's, there's no hiding places once the first bell goes and then for me quite an explosive sort of fighter I used to fight with the back leg loaded every shot if I could take your head off I would of course I try and like vary the power and I'd be trying to walk you onto shots and make you miss and I never had a huge high volume of punches but um yeah nothing was wasted so you know you you don't want to be wasting energy. You don't want to be bleeding energy out of anywhere. So uh, it was. It was. That's interesting. What's it like when you knock someone out? Always wondered. It's nice. It's, it's nice. I mean, I've never. Do you know? Do you know? Like once you connect, do you, yeah. You know. Sometimes, sometimes it goes. It go. It'll go through the target, um, and it's just there's a crispness to it. You know, I can imagine it's just like it's like kicking a kicking a ball or. Um, yeah, I can't think of yeah, like a big lovely. tackle where you just textbook. It doesn't hurt you. Yeah, and it just feels right. Yeah, uh, the the um, sometimes you'll land a it'll be like a thudding shot where maybe they've they've leaned into it or walked on, onto it and it reverberates up your arm and you just like you feel it into your shoulder, it goes into your spine and you're like, oh well. And then there's just a little look to see how how much of an effect has that had. Uh, and that's usually when the, the guy will usually just crumble in front of you. Um, sometimes when the, the the shot goes through the target, um, you know, it's rolls rolls the head, opens up. The, it's usually on the chin. That's um, yeah, that's that's the sweet one where you don't you don't feel it, and then yeah, the guy is usually gone in front of you. Luckily for me, I've never KO'd anyone where is that instant feeling of oh that's like a bit too much, you know, mm -hmm. like the panic of that. But um, yeah, no, it is. It's pretty sweet. It's just what it's what it's what you're you're craving. It's what your whole point you're doing, um, and you can't get there with effort. So you you have to stay, you know, relaxed, switched on, lightning fast, and then just yeah, it's it's always about timing. So when you when you finally get it off, maybe like I'm not a golf player, but maybe just like hitting that in that hole in one. Uh, it's that sort of feeling. What about getting knocked out? I know you mentioned it then. Yeah. What does that feel like when you listen to people talk about it and other podcasts that I've listened to and yours, and we'll get into your podcast. It's mm. brilliant, by the way. Just kind of describe to the listeners what it is. Because in rugby, it's a it's a hugely taboo subject, concussion, and we'll talk about that after. But 
just specifically getting knocked out? Is it how you think you don't know much about it? Well, the object of the sport, if you can, is to render the other guy unconscious. And I know it, ha- it probably happens more often in rugby. I don't know the statistics, but essentially, that's your idea is to score more tries and goals. So it's not it's not to knock the other guy out, but it, it happens. So there's that different element, there's that accepting element of it, where it's it is a taboo, but not. They put in as much safety precautions as possible, and I think a lot of stuff could could get better. But uh, and maybe it'll get there one day. But it's not nice. It's, it's embarrassment to start with. I mean, it's always embarrassment. I mean, I'm older now, so I can I can uh, live live with it, own it, as such, uh, and then understand that it happens to the best of us. And well, it's a highlight reel either way, isn't it? Yeah, mm. yeah. And um, I suppose part of it's like who 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 do you want to be? Who do you want to be remembered as? Um, you know, I've got friends that that describe me as. Yeah, he goes, oh, how would you describe George? He goes, oh, he's a hard bastard. And then, like, part of it's like, oh, I like that. It's nice, mm. you know what I mean? So, what do you mean? He goes, oh, no, I've seen him he's dig deep, gritty. I've seen him fight on these one fights with a broken jaw, dislocated shoulder, all this stuff. He's all right. He's he's made a good stock in that. He goes, yeah, but when he, he's gone over a few times, like, he's been, he's been, um, what's his whiskers like? And you're like, well, you know. But if if you get it on the chin, then there's not many people out there who have that sort of granite chin to uh to just absorb them sort of shots. And there, there are fighters. If Cole Froch is a prime example, he's got off the floor to win, um more than more than once. Yeah, it's 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 not nice. It's embarrassing when you when you when you get knocked out. But also like the feeling, there's never really any worry or concern, or at least not for me. I was never worried about health. As such, you more like if you break a bone. I've had, as I say, I've had a broken jaw. That's what you're like. Oh, is that going to heal? It's always, am I going to heal so I can box more? And he takes for the amount of punches that you take, it, it doesn't really happen that often. So mm. that's quite a good thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm used to watch Amir Khan and that fight against, against Prescott where he got mm. flatlined. And ever since then, he looked like every fight he went into, you were like, fucking, he looked, he looked like he was going to get knocked out. Mm. Ricky Hatton, obviously after the the Mayweather, but more so the Pacquiao fight. Is it a case of like you take one, and this is the whole thing in rugby, as in you know once you take one, two, three, four flatline concussions, you become so much more susceptible to that. Is that the same in boxing? I think so. I don't know the exact. I don't know if anyone's done a, a true study on it. In boxing, it's a weight governed sport, so you have to obviously make a weight. And when guys get too lean that's when their punch resistance goes. So when Amir Khan uh, got knocked out by by Prescott, he moved up a weight. And if you remember seeing Khan, he was like to the bone, like don't know what his body fat percentage was, but he was super lean. And then he, I think next time he gets stopped, he goes up again, another weight division. Um, when he gets knocked out by um, Alvarez, just because he'd gone too far and Alvarez is just a, a big hitter, big guy, big hitter, dangerous thing to do. But um, I think, yeah, your punch resistance can, can go um, and you do see that. But I'm not exactly sure how or why that is. Rugby might be more of an indicator of that if there are guys that sort of are getting knocked out a little bit more as they're getting older. And especially because they don't have to worry about being too lean. You know, I know you want to be as light and as powerful as possible. And the players now are in much better shape than they used to be. Mm. And you know the the power to weight ratio is probably a lot a lot better, but uh, boxers who are really lean or have dried out for a weight cut to get on the scales and then put that back on, and they haven't rehydrated properly, 
that's taken taking its toll on them and therefore they're kind of a depleted fighter come fight night that could be scary i think that's probably where the vast majority of brain injuries that happen in boxing are weight related and likely happened in the gym as well prior to just on the night for the fight uh because you're working hard in the gym you're sparring you'll be sparring hard but sparring for most fighters and most camps will take president so you'll prioritize that above everything else but at the same time you can't just have two days off before sparring and three days off after you've got to fit in your strength sessions just your runs your pad work all in in and around your sparring or you might fly a sparring partner in you need to get good work out of him so you've got monday wednesday friday sparring that week and it's tough sparring you're taking shots so you might have a mild concussion monday that turns into something else wednesday and friday you might get another dig and then come fight night you're fighting, as I say, not not 100%. Yeah, and it's hard, I suppose, as a person who made a living out of that and loves it. And in rugby, we're going through a huge issue at the minute. There's lawsuits, people suing different unions, people suing the federation at the top, World Rugby, from historic games and seasons and clubs that they played at because concussion was never a thing. Mm. It's almost like the elephant in the room. One thing I chat about and when I've interviewed people and I've had a... Uh, Dr. Bill Ribbons, who's leading up the concussion stuff in rugby, chatting to people from NFL. And I probably shouldn't do it or have done it, but I always brought it back to boxing. So as an athlete myself playing rugby, I knew that it was a dangerous sport. So I'd go in, I'd be like, well, yeah, my mates would be getting knocked out around me. I'd be like, well, that ain't safe, is it? Mm. You can you can see that. And then when it came to signing, I retired at 34. I know you retired earlier, but I made the decision not to carry on because I was like, I'm fucked. The likelihood is I'm going to get hurt now, so if I carry on. But as a young man, I knew what I was signing up for, a contact sport that was very dangerous, and that's why I liked it. And I spoke about boxing all the time when I was chatting about it because I was like, similar to boxing. But then I was thinking, actually, you can see boxing's dangerous. They sensationalise the knockouts. That's what sells the sport. But you have a, a long period. So it's interesting, the sparring, it's an obvious thing. right? If you're sparring every week, you're going to be taking micro concussions is it spoken about so at the very top end about protect because you you're not going to protect yourself are you? because if you come from a council estate and you're working on a building site you want to go out and you sword you hear this the whole time let mm. me go out on my sword i'm a young man so you need to be protected from yourself we spoke about the referees but what about the powers that be is it something that's spoken about or is it just what it is because boxing is about knocking the other person out i think on fight night, we want knockouts, but we want healthy, healthy fighters. After it's, it's not good for the sport if that's not the case, and um, that's not really no, no one, no one is interested in that. There's a lot of education provided by the British Boxing Board of Control for trainers to understand that that come away from that old school mentality, you know, of just like yeah, you know, excessive sparring pay, plays its toll and stuff like that. Um, you have regular weight checks um in boxing now to make sure that you're basically not crashing the weight come fight night but that's not ideal to be honest because they should figure out more of like a rehydration test because what they're doing is they're making fighters get within their fighting weight maybe 30 days out four, 14 days out five days out three days out one day out to, you you got fighters now just manipulating the scales with their hydration levels throughout camp so again if i'm a fighter and i've got away in at 76.2 kilos i've got weighing at 12 stone 168 pound and they say to me right you got to be 
10% within two weeks of the fight. You know, that makes perfect sense. But if I haven't quite got to that 10%, I go, right, well, I'm going to have to get in the morning, black bag on, skip off, do my check weigh, and then guess what? I'm sparring that afternoon. I can't put this sparring off. So I'm sparring dehydrated. My brain has shrunk because it's not it's got enough fluid. The tendons that are holding my brain to my skull are now stretched. There's much more likeliness that I'm going to have a an injury today. Um, but on paper, the board have done the right thing. They've done the, the safe thing or the WBC or the IBF or whoever the governing body is or something. So it's tough because if you start doing just hydration tests, you can fuck boxing up because there's going to be a lot of fighters who can't can't make the weight they're supposed to make because they yeah, you know, that's just how it is. But that's on the athlete then, isn't it? But so yeah, that's it's, solely it's, on the individual, the yeah, boxer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what we signed up for, like you said earlier, that's what, that's what I signed up for. Um, I knew terrible things. But one of the earliest fights I can remember is Nigel Benn versus Joe McLennan. It's one of my favourite fights. Uh, to watch, like, not just the, the ability, but to watch the heart uh, and the bravery of Ben and of McLennan. But it's... I'd rather have that fight not taken place because mm. Sean McLean's seriously ill. Like, mm. he um, almost died. He'd never be the same again. So, something went wrong, that, wrong in that fight. Maybe it went wrong in the camp. Who knows, you know? Uh, and I think people's awareness has moved on a lot since then. You know, I, I worked at the tail end of my career with Shane McGuigan, who, phenomenal boxing coach. His dad, Barry, of course, former world champion. They've, you know, he's boxing stock. He understands it. He's back, you know... He, He's got his best fighter's interest at heart. And if there's a fighter that he's got that's, you know, not quite up to scratch, then he's strong enough in in, in mind to say, right, you know, we're not going through with this fight or you need to have a time off or this sparring is not going to happen today because fighters, as you say, will always need protecting from themselves. And I think most athletes will be the same in any way because whether you're from humble backgrounds or not, like the sole purpose of sport is winning. Um if it's not about winning, then what's it about? And uh, it can feel like winning at all costs at times. So, yeah, you know, I, I, there's definitely huge periods in my career where I would need saving and I was more than willing to to die for the cause. Uh, you grow up a bit and you have kids and you get responsibilities and stuff like that and that, that does change. And that's the reason I retired at 30. Um, with hopefully health on my side, Um to to you know be more present in my sort of my personal life now so it's part of sport but um boxing maybe rugby and others in particular uh as dangerous contact sports you gotta you know, i don't know you, you might need saving yeah tough question to answer but fairly topical when we talk about desperation and it being everything and the situation around conor ben around drugs is there a problem in boxing with drugs you could see why potentially there would be and, and again you look at i look at ufc again look at the size have you seen conor mcgregor made double the size his head's i reckon he's had a load of botox as well but you can i i can see why right so you think they do it in cycling on a fucking bike i love cycling by the way shocking at it yeah but you, I, I could see why how regulated is it how much pressure mm. is there and again there's whispers and pockets of different things i don't know how easy a question that is for you to answer so i was if if I was a, uh, uh, I can't remember when I went on the the, it was so British boxing used UK anti doping, uh, and I went on their sort of whereabouts scheme. Yeah, I was on that. They can show up at your house mm. whenever they want. Uh, once I became sort of semi high profile, um, which was quite early on in my career, 
because at the time there wasn't an awful lot of world champions uh and i think it, and i'd had the pay-per-view fight with james agal it was only a british title fight but it was we ended up headlining a pay-per-view show done great numbers at the o2 um it was a big fight so since then i was almost on the whereabouts you had to fill in a, a, a paperwork for where you'd be every day. It was, and then you text them if you weren't there. Yeah, mental system. It was, it was really why. hard. I understand why, whatever. Uh, and then the WBC brought in a similar thing. Um, so they would use VADA, which is a voluntary anti-doping organization. There's also WADA, uh, the World Anti-Doping, and then there's probably a couple more that I've sort of used at some point, or you know, I've been on. And I was paranoid of everything. I wouldn't touch anything. You know. I'd heard the story, well, I think I was 15, that this young Russian girl or Romanian gymnast had had a paracetamol after winning and she had a gold medal taken off her. So I just thought I'd be on the safe side. I had a, I got a really good physio in, in um, central London who was worked with a lot of athletes. So if I had to go and get a treatment from him and there was, you know, something had to be uh, injected, I'd be like, Oh, Kevin, let me know. Write this down. Because uh, mm. if they show up the next morning, and it was weird, it would it would happen a lot. You'd have to fill in. He would know what was legal and what was not, but you just got to, you declare it. Yeah, but like sure if you it. had a steroid injection on a shoulder, for example, if you pop your AC. Exactly. Or, like we, we had them as well. Like we'd have we'd inject painkillers, we'd take mm. painkillers, suppositories up the arse. But I imagine with yours, it's there'd be even more. Well, yeah. As And I never went down that route of trying to maximize my performance through supplementation because one i was just a bit more foodie i was like if my knees are squeaking i'm gonna eat some avocado do you know what <laughs> i mean if uh if i'm feeling run down i'm gonna get eat drink some beetroot juice or something i'm gonna have some antioxidants that way but it's easy for people to say oh it's the boxing games riddled with it you know it's everyone's at it and i think there are fighters out there who truly believe that oh i have to do it otherwise i've got no chance because everyone else is at it but i think you've got to be like a oh you've got to have a masters in something or other you've got to be a genius to to stay at one step ahead of these um you know the, the testing uh so why do these people think they can do it? Because they always get caught at one point. There's always an out in boxing because it's the Wild West. You know, it's we don't have a FIFA or FA or Premier League or something like that to sort of a governing a, a sole governing body. We have the British Boxing Board of Control, who most professional fighters in the UK are licensed to. But if they say no, then you go to America and you fight on a Nevada state or California or New York, or you go to Saudi. Or you, you fight in the UK on a Luxembourg border control or... Bare knuckle. Oh, yeah, I mean, maybe. But <laughs> the point is that it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard. I, you know, I don't, everyone's... I don't want to cast judgment. Usually what happens is someone will test positive. They'll say, I haven't cheated. Legal letters start to happen. And then they either serve a backdated ban or it's forgotten about <laughs> well that's like the Conor Ben thing I was so looking forward to his fight yeah. history with Eubank and their, their dads and then he gets done I was like oh. after all that and then apparently it was eggs and then all the memes are going around with mm. him like holding eggs and stuff like that <laughs> and it it just seems like it hasn't well if it, if it is legit which you can only go based on what you see in here then it's been brushed under the carpet and rightly so because it was wrong but it was like yeah, I don't know. Um, I've met Connor a bunch of times. Um, 
and I know I know some of the team that they've all, I've always got on with Connor really well. So, but I don't know him well enough to know what anything about it, and I would never really have a strong opinion on it either way. That was always my my worst nightmare would be that I'll test positive for something that you know some dodgy hair gel or mm. a dodgy kebab or something like that. Um, and you just you just never know. It's hard. It's hard to eat well in this this day and age. Uh, you don't know where your food's coming from. You don't know what your food's injected with. And yeah, you know. I mean, is it eggs? Is it not? I don't know. You just you don't know the full. You never know the, the right answer, the full answer. So um, you'd always be guessing. You'd just be torturing yourself. You've transitioned out of boxing. I would say, well, the age of thirty. You're doing a podcast now. 30 seems quite young. You've come out at the right time. I've heard you speak about it. You've come out healthy, probably done okay out of your fights. You've fully switched on, not that fighters aren't, but you can see they just go on too long. Was it Roy Jones Jr. you talk about on your podcast that's clearly gone on too far? It's him, isn't it? Yeah, Roy's had, you know... He's, yeah. He was fighting until he was 50, wasn't he? Yeah. When we talk, right, or when you talk to anyone, how... how is, is, the, is the fire gone now? I mean, what, what are you now? You're 34? 34. 34. Yeah. Because I'm watching that fight. I know it's 10 years ago. I'm like, fuck, this lad can bang. Yeah. Like, well, how, how, do you, how do you switch that off? Depending when this goes out, I'm not far off 35. And 35 is the cutoff. There's no coming back from 35. Why? Why is that the age? I don't know. It that's feels the age, like the age, yeah. don't it? Yeah, that's the age. Of, I've retired at 34 and I didn't uh, mind. There you mind. go. I, um, no, I turned pro at 20. I started boxing at 10. 10 years as an amateur, I got to 10 years as a pro. Um, and at the point when I retired, I just felt tired. I'd sort of, I'd crammed a lot into that, those 10 years. As I say, I was, I was a championship level fighter after two years, I think, two years. Um, I was Commonwealth champion and then it was, I was involved in a few big fights, lots of drama inside the ring, outside the ring. Um, had the big fights done, Done my bit, and then finally won a world title at the fourth attempt. And then from there on in, it was I knew my days were numbered. Like genuinely knew my days were numbered. Why had motivation gone, or you've had too many fights, or the fact that you'd won yeah, the belt, no, and I, then it was like you'd done what you wanted to do. After Frotch, it's fifteen months, a bit of a slog. I have three fights, and th- uh, after that, on the in the third fight. Uh, I fight Badu Jack for WBC world title, um, and I drop a split decision loss away from home in Vegas on you know on a Mayweather undercard, um, and that was my new rock bottom, and that was my first time ever. What's my life uh, instead of boxing? It was always what's my life after boxing. Now it's what's my life instead of boxing. It didn't last that long, to be honest. Like it feels like an eternity, but you know within months I'm no, all right come on let's get back let's get back let's get back and uh yeah I find my way back into a mandatory position I beat Martin Murray on an Anthony Joshua undercard at the O2 um and now my next fight can be for uh the WBA super super middleweight world title so I'm in a good place it does feel like now or never it does feel like this is the last chance saloon I think a week or two after the, the Murray fight my first son's born so uh, I become a dad it's a game changer. Mm. Game changer for me. Like uh at whatever age I was then, twenty seven, I think, twenty eight. And um yeah, I'll just be like, wow. All of a sudden that ruthless streak is gone. Like, you know, I'm no longer willing to die on my shield, you know, because uh, uh, it's there for my kids now, you know what I mean? It's uh there's more to life. Um 
but I can't leave boxing without this world title. I have a fight against Eddie Goodnick just to keep busy fight because there was problems with you know the belt. It wasn't quite ready. Um, and I fight Eddie uh, on a Channel 5 show. He's a really good fighter. He comes over from, from Germany. But this is a keep busy fight. It's not a tough fight, keep busy fight. I'm winning comfortably. Not enough to like stop the bout, but the bout goes the distance. Um, get back to the changing room. And then uh, my physio, Kevin, comes over and says, sorry, really bad news, but Eddie's collapsed in the changing room. So I, I know what that means. Like, you don't you don't want to hear about fighters collapsing in changing rooms after fights. So um, he quickly gets rushed to Paddington Hospital. They induce him into a coma. Um, and he's fighting for his life. He's had, a, I think, a brain aneurysm, or I'm not exactly sure. So he's in a terrible state. I then go with uh, my promoter, Nissa Sowland, who had even promoted Eddie like over the years. Um, so they all knew each other. He knew the family, he knew the sister, he knew the, the dad, the brother. Um, we go in, we see him, and uh, yeah, he's in a real bad way. Like, I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, no, he's um, so from Saturday night to maybe Tuesday or Wednesday, I see him. Obviously, he's in a coma, and he is a fraction of the man, he's like half the size that he was. It's bizarre, you wouldn't think it was possible. Now, Eddie's got three kids at home, I know that. His wife couldn't come because she's got to stay at home and look after the kids. And all I'm thinking is, oh, I'm a dad now, and what on earth is this all about this boxing game i wasn't getting paid enough for this fight not being not being weird not being funny being like he definitely wasn't getting enough for this mm. like this is not worth it the family were lovely they were like you know this is boxing we understand we don't hold you accountable we don't hold you you know we do, we don't blame you um which probably was the difference between me boxing on and not um i left that thing uh i left that that situation, just that hospital, the hospital visit, just like numb and um, weird. Like, never knew that was me, to be honest. Mm. My wife always jokes that I'm sort of ruthless. <laughs> uh, I have zero empathy, and as as kind and considerate as I try and be and generous, you know, it still is like when it comes to boxing, you shut the gym door and boom, that's just it's all about me. You know, mm. I'm, I'm in there. I'm a killer. I'm ruthless. But then I, I stopped using that phrase. Like, I didn't want to be a killer anymore. Mm. Um, didn't want that killer instinct. Uh, couldn't leave the sport without a world title, though. Couldn't leave the sport without a world title. I hadn't had enough out of the sport. And the sport owes me more at this point. You know, I've I've bled for it. I've I've given everything for it. I've, I say I've, I've been I've been cheered. I've been booed on the way in. I've been cheered on the way out. And and now no one cares. You know, first fight with Froch, people are booing me. Second fight. They're cheering me. Badu Jack, no one cared. And like that was even more deafening. So it's like, no, I need to get mine. What's mine? The fight gets set. It's Fedor Chunov. He was the champion, but Sank went on to end up being a vacant belt. Tough Russian. Um, of course. They're all always, tough. Always tough. Uh, doesn't really look formidable on the tapes. It boxed a guy that I knew, Frank Buglioni, who I'd done a lot of rounds with, like a friend, Frank Buglioni. And I remember in the build-up to the fight, someone asked Frank, uh, you've done rounds with George and um, and you fought Fedor. Uh, and uh, how do you think it's going to go? 
Um, and I thought he would say, yeah, well, Fedder's good, but Groves will, you know, be, should be comfortable. And he sort of sat on the fence. And he's not like that. It wasn't protecting his. Or oh, I'm not. I've got. I've lost the Chudnov, so I can't say he's not that great. That did make me think. Oh, <laughs> this 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 Chudnov might be a bit bit more tough than I think he's going to be. And he was. Um, the fight starts, and he's just like a little wrecking ball. He literally just. He's very easy to hit, which was the only thing that saved me in that fight, but he's just marching me down, um, catching me with big shots um, after a big shot. And this last time at Saloon for me, like uh, fourth time of trying, I don't think I'm going to be able to come again. I do not believe that emotionally, mentally, I would have I would have been able to. Um, it was just so tough. It's just so such a slog to get back to this point. It's the end of the third round, um, literally on the bell. Chudnov rolls this big right hand over the top. And it, I think it lands right on the button, right on the jaw. And I hear this loud crack. And I go, oh, I know what that is. Like, So he broke my jaw. Um, I've had that before. I broke my jaw 10 years prior in Poland as an amateur. So I'd, I knew exactly what was going on. Maybe those first-hand experiences were, were pretty decent. So I go back to my corner. I sit down. Shane McGuigan, the coach, tries to take my gum shield out. And I just go, nah, just leave it in. I didn't tell him why because I didn't want to I didn't want him to worry but I was like right let's come and let's, let's get this job done right, this is a, it's now or never uh, next round I get a cut across the eye blood's coming into the eye which is obviously never ideal you're always taught as a fighter don't wipe the blood away from your eye don't wipe it away because you're giving the referee uh, an excuse to stop the fight or you're obscuring your vision you can't see the shots coming I've got to stop the fight So, but at this point I'm like it's shit or bust man I'm, I'm wiping the blood away having a look but as I say, the whole time I'm landing shots at him, they're not having any effect at all, but at least I'm landing. I'm thinking, water in the basement. Just keep whacking him downstairs. This will catch up with him. It's only round four. It's only round five. We'll get him. Sixth round comes out. Same again. He's marching me back. But I bounce off the back leg. Vintage groves. Like old old me. Old old me off the back leg. Whack, and the right hand comes over the top and it momentarily stuns him. And... Uh, I just remember thinking, well, it's now or never. Go for it. You can't blow this now. And you'd always have that anxiety about as a as a fighter that you know you enter the tank, you weather the storm, and you're gassed, you're fucked, and you won't recover. Uh, and he is that 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 there was he did the way about him. Where if I couldn't get rid of him now, he probably would have eaten me up because he was just finding a home for that right hand. But go for it, man. And I think it's thirty, maybe forty unanswered punches later. Stephen Gray, the the, um, the referee, calls a halt to the action, which was just oh the sheer relief. It wasn't even like um, it was obviously pure happiness, but um, not really like excitement, joy. It was relief. Yeah, it was it was weird. Mm. It was really really weird. But um, at that point, I'd signed I'd signed a contract to go into this tournament because I knew that. I got to win this fight, but the money wasn't amazing. You know what I mean? I, my mortgage wasn't paid for yet. You know, there was, you know, you you, you manage your, your money as best you can. And I tried to be sensible throughout my career. And I, you know, I'm not lavish, not flash. I never had, you know, never tried to spunk a load of money, but uh, I hadn't quite made it enough yet. But this tournament was going to be great money and more titles. It was going to, there, there was talk of them bringing every, every championship belt into there. And especially the, the one that I really wanted was the ring magazine belt. I was up for fighting anyone. 
So the pressure was on in that fight because if I didn't win that, I'd still probably would have got into it, but I wouldn't have got in as the number one seed mm. on the you know the the A side. I would have been on the on the other side um, in the unseeded category. So um, sheer, sheer relief, sheer relief and joy. And then um, yeah, I mean more problems is always broken jaw. I've got to try and get that fit, get healthy, get back in this tournament. But uh, yeah, rattle off three fights um, in the next year at thirty then. Between the second fight uh, in the tournament, which was the semi-finals against Chris Eubank Jr., I dislocate my left shoulder in the last round. Win the fight, get through it. Uh, but I'm like, this is it. This is curtains. They want me to fight three months later. That's Things impossible. are falling apart. Yeah. And I don't know whether... I never really thought, I've only started thinking about this recently. Like, was the body then ready to say, all right, if it was, you know, I would have got that back and then something else would have gone. Something would become a little bit more injury prone at 30 then. But um, yeah, it's, I almost punched my shoulder out of its socket, which is a bit weird, isn't it? So there might have been, there must have been some sort of tear that's happened, either in the fight or maybe even the end of camp, which just niggled and niggled and then gone. I have the surgery and I really work hard to get back to fitness. And we try to use rugby as an example of how quickly could we get back to fitness, you know? And we'd had examples of of players that had come back playing after four months realistically that was impossible i mean that is truly impossible because one i'm not sure how you know what 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 rugby injuries they're talking about and um also when it's rugby of course you're out your your shoulders are exposed to to catch the ball but also you know you're in a team and you're not oh, punching so you know, i'll be honest i had four shoulder reconstructions to each arm the whole the inside talk in a rugby team is if you have a shoulder up you're never the same oh. you're never the same once you have a shoulder operation and you've had that dislocation or the sublux, once you've had surgery, rehab, it's never the same. So yours went twice on, on each arm? Yeah, on yeah. each arm, yeah. So I had all my shoulders done before I was 24, nearly ended my career, couldn't oh. tackle. So I tackled with my chest, hence I, had, I broke my ribs loads, broke my sternum, I broke my <laughs> clavicle because I couldn't tackle with my arms out. Yeah. And I think once your shoulder goes, and that's, again, listening to you talk about the dislocation that you had about, uh, against Eubank in that position as well. Mm. So I remember walking the dog and the dog had pulled on my arm and it, it pulled it out of the out of the joint. And, it, that, and shoulder's everything for you, isn't it? Yeah. Well, they, I mean, then the left one was, was the jabbing arm. So they did say to me, like, uh, you need surgery because even if you weren't going to box anymore, you walk the dog, you pick the kids up, whatever mm. happens, this is going to keep coming in and out. You, I needed a tendon from one side to go to the other and I've lost, they said you will definitely lose range in the shoulder, but it's still not the same. Now, I was in my mind think, I rehabbed it as best I possibly could to get fit for a fight, but I crammed like, in the end, I probably only did about three and a half, four months worth of rehab when I probably needed 18 months. And then even then, what would it be like? Because it gasses out now. It's funny. Like mm. I'll be doing, if I'm doing like a single, like a dumbbell press, uh, this one just wants to keep going. Yeah. This one just, it, just yeah. it dies. But it was, it was dead for, for months. Like I, it was bizarre. Cause I, you just feel like the, the, I don't know, the connection that just is gone. Like it doesn't, I, I can't, I was doing, and zero engagement in the, the tricep. The tricep wouldn't engage. You know, you're doing press-ups, like narrow press-ups, which is purely triceps, like tricep extensions. Yeah. And somehow the bicep was doing the work. Yeah, shoulders are gnarly. Yeah, <laughs> horrible. Well, we did all right. So, my, I, knew my, you know, I was like, I even I was sitting in the ambulance, like feeling good, feeling good about myself, thinking, just beat you back, Junior. This was a big fight, man. This was, 
I smashed smashed the pay per view records on ITV. You know, it was Manchester homecoming. You know, like I fought headline deer against Froch and lost, but now I've headlined deer and won. You know, in a big domestic dust up. So another world title defense. We'll call it a day, but that's not me. Like you know, obviously anyone. Next morning, I'm like, well, how do we get this? How do we get back to life? Um, pushed it. Final end up in Saudi. I fought Callum Smith, who's a really good fire, six foot four, which don't help when you're trying to jab up with an arm that don't work. He's Liam's brother. Yeah, yeah Liam Smith's yeah, brother. Yeah, yeah. yeah, this was and this was this was the fight that he'd been waiting for for mm. years. Like he wanted this this he wanted desperate for a, for a fully fledged world title. He'd gone in this tournament, walked away from a mandatory position f- to go in this tournament, knowing that if he was backed himself to win it, he'd come out with a belt or two. So I, it's, I could have withdrawn from the final and, and taken the belt with me. Um, I wouldn't say, nowhere near was the reason I did it because Callum deserved it, but there was part of me as well that was was happy that he got his chance to do it and and fair, fair fucks to him for, um, I think that's one of the best he's put, he's performed was against me. He was switched on, he was up for it. He got himself in great shape. Um, nothing flat about him. He it times his career where he's, he's boxed flat. Maybe he's, got his camp a bit wrong but this one he was up for and um catches me with a great a great sort of check left hook which i know he's really good at and then uh instinctive finisher the fight had left me jim you know the fight had left me it was the right it i felt like i was totally aware that the fight had left me and that's why i could retire at 30 with peace with peace and and have no itch no itch to come back you know I, i've been to the shows i cover the shows for sky for for channel five um for all of them i'll be there for the bbc next week covering smith so no itch to come back just this uh and i think that's a blessing that's a blessing for me that you can leave the sport happy you know, yeah, for a while it was content would have been okay but to leave the sport happy transition's the word that's banded about a weird word isn't it transition but mm. after sport so you, you've mentally absolutely fine with it I mean you speak so clearly with everything which is another positive I know you speak about that on your podcast in terms of you've got everything up top still and you are happy but that transition is there any parts where you've struggled with at all well you know I think Identity, you can have an identity crisis, sure, because... Um, oh, you do talk about this, and no. <laughs> the similar... Th- well, it's fucking boxer, you're a killer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? I'm a, I'm, I'm a boxer, and then when it suits me, I, I, I sort of slip into them roles, you know? Uh, I love how we both... I, I love, how, do. <laughs> I, love how, I love how we both sit back when we say, oh, killer. Yeah, shuffle you know? in the chair, yeah, yeah. That's an uncomfortable shuffle from me. I'm like, oh. No, um, Jerry, you just want to appreciate... I can appreciate life. I feel that's a, that's a blessing for me. I walk... I take the dog for a walk. I love it. You know, I love it. I love it. I, I'm, I'm there most, most days and nights. I'm there when the kids wake up. Um, I can take them to, I can take them to school or I can pick them up. Me and the missus, we juggle it. Um, and most nights I'm there to put them to bed. So, uh, I'm present for them, which is amazing for me. That's something that not a lot of people have the, the luxury of. And I could do fun things, you know, like now. So, I felt like when I finished boxing, I would definitely be not wanting to be around boxing for a long time. But it turns out you gravitate back towards it because it's what you know, it's what, it's what your unique selling point is and it's ultimately what you what you enjoy. So I'm fortunate enough to, to work on, on the big shows to get there and that's how I dip my toe in now. I get to, to cover the action live and now with my podcast. So following in, in the likes of, of you and many others who are 
trying to trying to well i'm trying to dabble in this this podcast world trying to get uh our little podcast off the ground and um we've got the george Groves boxing club crowd network and is co-hosted by declan taylor who is a boxing journalist who covered my career for for huge amounts of it and um really good fun guy so me and him get on really well and we just get a boxing related guest on every week to have a little deep dive into a boxing related subject usually something that's obviously relevant to them uh and then hopefully it's uh it's, it's supposed to be light-hearted and fun a little bit entertaining and um but, but have some informative information come their way as well and we you know we have some loads of people who are, who are part of my journey as well so that's that's fun you know we've had neil sibley my solicitor on who's come in and uh talking to us about boxing contracts uh, a friend of mine philip sharkey who's a boxing photographer but he's just a mad boxing nut whose dad was a professional fighter uh in the 1950s and 60s so uh no, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's fun. It's and you had Carl Froch on there as yes, well. I saw. Yes, Are you mates Carl, now? Carl, Miss Froch. No, yeah. So me, me and Froch, we, we, I mean, the last two years we've done a little tour together. And um, so we go up and down the country um, reliving our rivalry. And uh, it's humbling that, you know, almost 10 years on now, people are still uh, interested, a little bit invested in, you know, what was our our period in boxing. And... Um, so me and Carl, I think we're, we're quite good friends, you know. Uh, it turns out there ain't an awful lot of fighters who retire, you know, not an awful lot of people, I should say, who are ex-fighters retire and then trying to navigate their 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 way around a, a new life in this world at, at this age. So, you know, we can... Uh, we can seek each other out for for a little bit of advice from time to time. We're in the, in the same... You know, in the same vicinity of of certain things, and then yeah, we've had these these tours together. So I think he can hear the the unedited uh, version of you know what had happened to me and my take on on my experiences, and likewise for him. And I can do it with a sympathetic ear now because uh, I do give him like a you know two finger clap at the uh, when he goes on about all his uh, achievements. So, um, yeah, Frotch's episode, that was great. It was great for us. I appreciate him. We had him down in London, so he came in, um, get him on the pod, and he's got a real dry sense of humour. So it goes over a lot of people's heads, but um, I figure him out, so I'm okay. Yeah, but on the podcasting stuff, and we were chatting um, before we recorded, there's not a huge amount out there with fighters in terms of, I'm a fan, a lot of good podcasts are journalist-led across the world. So we were talking about the growth of podcasts and opportunities in that space, but there's no better person to be doing a boxing podcast than someone that's been in the mix, had the highs, had the lows, won a belt, mm. fought in one of the biggest. I'd, tell me another a bigger fight of our generation, a British fight. I can't think of one. Mm. I can't. So even if I could, I wouldn't. No, no me neither. Yeah. Especially you here. It's like I don't know when I'll interview a boxer again, but. Yeah, I think it's a, a brilliant space to be in. There's loads of growth. Yeah, but you find out like boxing can be a bit, um, you know, people keep themselves themselves where they just, you know, they're worried about someone else stealing their opportunity. You know, there are clans and groups, you know, you'll have different fighters from different stables or different promotional outfits or different channels. And sometimes it's hard for them to get to, to mix. And that's what the, the biggest gripe is for boxing fans is the best fights are never made because rival camps don't don't get it on. But podcast world, you know, uh, we the more the merrier. You quickly realise that 
if there's another boxing podcast that's got so many subscribers, I'm not nicking their subscribers. They're just listening to both, you know. Or and it's and, growing the sport. And yeah, my growing, you're growing. What hopefully people will get on my show is when we get a fighter on, you know, I can talk to them fighter to fighter, uh, and they usually speak to us. You know, fighter to fighters talk differently. Like I'm sure, the same in your your sport where you'll get a player talking to another player with first hand experiences. The shoulders loosen, and then they come out of that sort of regurgitated sort of journalist answer that you usually get. And I can sort of shoot from the hip, and I can mm. say stuff that a journalist can't say as well. So um, you get a much nice, happy flow, organic chat, and um, so far so good. It's been really, really good fun for me. I love it, and um, yeah, it's going. Hopefully, it's, I mean, it is. It's going strength for strength. Who's your guest that you want? Who's the number one guest that you'd want to get? Well, from the weekend, I want Mike Tyson. Do you know what I mean? I think we, if we, I don't know he how they pod, got he decided. Does, he does podcasts yes. as well. So um, I met Tyson um, at Caesar's Palace. I was on holiday with my wife um, and he was doing a signing day and I was like, right, that is it. I'm going to pay the $200, buy my buy my picture and, and we're going to do it. He was there for two days, I think. And the first day, <laughs> uh, we was walking around Caesar Palace and I was sort of, not. there's like a nice watch shop there. There's obviously loads of shops there. So we, we're mooching about, wait for, I don't know, waiting for the queue to go down. And I got hiccups which is weird. And I'm a bit weird with hiccups because I can't get rid of them. And I was like, I'm not meeting Mike Tyson with hiccups. That's fucking stupid. I can't go, hello, Mike. Mm. So um, after about 10 minutes of moaning, I was like, oh, fuck this. It's not happening. I'm going, I'm going, I'm leaving. So my missus thought I was absolutely mental. But I was like, I only done it because I knew he was there the next day. So the next day we come, I haven't got hiccups. So I paid $200 to come in. I was like, Mike Tyson needs to know this is ahead of my first fight with with Froch. I need to get more than just a generic shit out of, out of out of Mike. So I come in and I'm like, "Hi, Mike. My name's George Groza. I'm fighting Cole Froch for the WBC. <laughs> uh, of the WBA Middleweight World Title." So he's like, "Ah!" Oh. So he knows I'm legit. And then he was with a couple of other fighters, and some of them knew who I was. So I was like, "This is brilliant." So. Um, I wanted him, what did I want? I think I wanted a face-off picture, which is cringe, because when people ask me for that, I think, oh, fuck off. But I thought, it's Mike Tyson, he's got to do it. And then um, I also wanted him to personalise the picture, but I didn't want to ask for both. So I didn't get the personalised picture, but I got the face-off. And it's quite a cool picture. So he sort of got his arm around my wife, um, but he's talking to me with one hand, and it looks like Mike Tyson has sort of stole my date. But um, it's Mike Tyson, so oh. I'd love to get him on. Mike, Mike could be called Manny Pacquiao. Any of the American stars, really, because yeah. they seem a little bit unattainable at the moment. We've had big audience as well. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah, yeah. We get into the big, bigger audience, but um, yeah, Sylvester Stallone. To be honest, he's not boxing, but I'd love to get Sly on because um, he. I met him once in London. Uh, he was over promoting a, f- a, a film with Robert De Niro, The Grudge mm. Match or something. I can't remember. It wasn't one of his best. Yeah, I had a, I've had a Rocky poster above my bed since I was 10 years old. Uh, but it, it's not above my bed now that I'm married, and you know, but it still hangs far the place in the hallway. So I took it down off the wall, rolled it up, went there, told him, and he wrote me a lovely message on it. So um, oh, that's that would be a dream. But surely the amount of celebrities, you see them all in the front row at all the big fights now. You'd be able to tap into that. Yeah, well, I mean... When it when it was me fighting, yeah, I, I don't get to see any of them. Uh, it was there was a talk I was going to get Prince Harry to come to 
to, to one of the fights because I think he'd been to the been to the darts, been to the rugby. I was mm. like, now it's time to come to the boxing. But I don't think he got approval from you know uh, the chiefs upstairs. We had, uh, I think, yeah, I remember again my wife saying, "Sit down, sit down." And I think it was either Ant or Deck. One of the two was at my fight. That would have been Wembley. So yeah, you get you get you get some 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 cool celebs to take care of. Gordon Ramsay's big boxing fan. He's sort of. Uh, Sorted us out for some nice dinners and that over the years. Oh really? So, uh, Mate, you'd be able to get these definitely. Yeah, well, yeah, if we can get them on the get them on the on the show because I love talking to to boxing fans about boxing as well. You know, we got a few episodes coming out soon, so yeah. Rob Rob Beckett's on and a few others. So. I was um I say I was I was going to say I was with him. So Rob Beckett, I'm in Dubai mm. and my mate says, "Do you want to come to Abu Dhabi to watch the UFC?" So when who was fighting? Who was the headline? Volkanovski was fighting. Oh, I can't remember who it was. Uh, no, it was uh, Charles Oliveira versus Islam Makachev, who's just won. So he beat Oliveira and then fought. Uh, he, no, he won the championship there in Abu Dhabi. Like, yeah, I kind of remember. And Rob Beckett was there. He's a big, like, he's flown over from the UK just to go and watch UFC. He doesn't, loves doesn't, sport. Doesn't like he can fight. No, not that you need to. Yeah. Right? yeah. No, I don't think, I think it's... It, it, Charm you with his, his humour. But um, he does a podcast as well. Do you yeah. know I mean? So there's these crossovers, isn't there, of celebrities and, and the collaborations. I think we all agree that that's the growth of, well, it's definitely the growth in rugby. It's nothing like boxing, but humanise the mm. people that have done it. You know, very different, you know, to get in a boxing ring. I'm not going to use the analogy of going on a rugby pitch. It isn't the same as going in a boxing ring, but... No, but it's great to get... Um, it's really hard to get your personality across, Um you know, I don't know how much media you was allowed to do in, in rugby. You know, whereas boxing, you have to do an unbelievable amount of media, but you're always pigeonholed into the same stereotype. You know. Oh, sorry, same thing. Yeah, just hoping for a good game at the weekend. We've trained really hard. Yeah, so we did do media, but you weren't yourself. Yeah. So, and obviously, nine times out of ten, they, when you're trying to promote a fight, and there's someone saying something mean about you, so you. Expected to say something back, so yeah, it's nice to the podcasters show a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely class. Uh, before you go, I've got a few th- kind of quick fire things while I've got you as a fan. Mm. Greatest boxer ever. I know it's really hard because you hit heavyweights, but if there was one ever, it would probably go right the way back to guys that we don't even have. I knew you were going to. Um, I knew you were going to go old school. No, like yeah. So um, Robinson, like Ray Robinson, left hook. Joe Louis, left hook. It's unbelievable. Like how do they generate so much power? Um, how do they fight so so often, so frequently? How do they just be such tough men? Um, more modern. I used to. I, I used to love watching um, Gerald McLennan. Uh, tapes because that was what I wanted to Joe McLennan right hand uh, unbelievable right hand um, and I used to like a lot of Bernard Hopkins because I used mm. to watch a lot of Hopkins um, I used to have him on the boxing game he was my go-to yeah, yeah. I mean he's class I mean he's just the magician he, can, he sees everything um, and what to you know be a world champion in his 40s Right now, still fighting, probably one of my favourite fighters would be uh, Gennady Golovkin, who I, I'm fortunate enough to do some rounds with. He broke my rib um, out in Big Bear, California, um, when I was fat and out of shape and he was about a couple of weeks out from a fight. But we jumped in, we did some rounds, and um, to be just the unstoppable force that he was at middleweight for so long, uh, and, and a lovely guy to go with it. Really, yeah. So, um, no, yeah, uh, big fan of Gennady's. Does Tyson... Fury fight Joshua does it happen inside knowledge and again just a quick snapshot <laughs> mm. why does it not happen why um, does it just why can't we just have 
Like in all of the sport, the best fight the mm. best. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, it's always, it's always. I'd assume always money that, that sort of really gets in the way. And Tens of millions, like yeah, hundreds of know, millions, they're, they're going to get it. But it's, it's, um, you got to win the fight. You got to win the fight, and uh, like no one did it better than Mayweather in the modern era. Mm. Like Mayweather, once Mayweather was able to be that powerful in the A side, he'd just fuck everyone else around. The closest thing you get to it now is like. Alvarez, so Alvarez, Canelo Alvarez, and I admire that about them. So it's not a slight on them, but they'll just mess people around, pull them about, you know, until just to get that added advantage that when it comes down to the fight, Alpha. they got to win. So yeah, the Alpha Dogs, man. Yeah. Um, but that uh, that it could be Fury and Joshua want to fight each other. They do want to fight each other. Yeah, think? imagine yeah. they both want to fight. And they both agree to the 50-50 split. So they're like, money aside, it's all about them. We don't care about the money. Or Saudi. Get it in at Wembley. At Wembley would be lovely. Yeah. But then it's like, well, who's going to ring walk first? Mm. Oh, it's got to be be Joshua. And Joshua's like, no, I don't want to ring walk first. All right. If I ring walk first, then my name gets announced second. Like, you'd be surprised how much, how many of these petty little things, but are they petty when you want to fucking be the man? Joshua's not winning that, is he? I know like he fought on your undercard, didn't he? And then you were on his undercard, mm. so there might be that relationship there. He ain't beating Tyson Fury, surely not. Uh, no, I mean, you know, to form, Fury's in good form. Fury's in good form, but Fury, Fury fights Usyk next. He's way yeah. too small to beat Fury, no? I wouldn't write him off. No? I mean, yeah, I mean, I said Gennady, but I forgot about uh, Usyk. So Usyk was in the tournament. When I was in the tournament, um, the World Boxing Super Series, he went in at Cruiserweight and he beat everyone. And then he came back and he beat Tony Bellew and then he went up to Heavyweight and he's beat everyone. He's a phenomenal fighter. He's given away way too much natural size. Mm. Is that the step too far? But um, a magician. Will they happen? Would you, like... I think that'll happen. Yeah. I think that's it. That's an easier fight to make than Anthony Joshua Fury. But Joshua Fury might take place because, you know, not being funny, but Joshua's had that fall from grace. He's lost his last two fights. He's got a fight coming up against Franklin, which he should win. Uh, and if he does that, then maybe it happens. But it'll be, it, I suppose it will be weird if them two finish their careers without fighting. But um, when, I'm not sure. And lastly, before you go, I've been invited to have a boxing match I don't know if it's white collar so my former agent asked me to get involved with something with KSI Misfits or something I don't, I don't know what yes. it is but I've been asked to do that but I had a boxing match once a semi it was an amateur back in New Zealand just to share this with you now that we're friends and yes. comfortable so 2005 back in the day I'm training over in New Zealand and we're on the mitts pop, 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 and I was okay I could throw a few jabs and a decent right hook mm-hmm. I don't know what it is what is it well, if it's coming around the side, it's a hook. Yeah, yep. came straight down the pan. So I was all right at doing that. I could do the old uppercuts and stuff like that. So we were in a gym in New Zealand, a guy called Kevin Barry, and it was David Tua, a Samoan heavyweight fighter. He trained out of this gym. And that's yeah, I remember, just, you remember David Tua? Yeah. He fought uh, Lennox Lewis. Yes, that's right. And Ruiz. Hard, yeah, he knocked Ruiz. Yeah, that, yeah. So, so that was him. So I don't even know why I've patched over that, maybe because I wanted to get onto this case. Yeah. So in his gym in New Zealand, I am training for a year for rugby, but we're training every day, like skipping, we're doing abs at the end, and you're not allowed to put your feet on the floor, and I'm hitting the mix. I'm loving it because I love boxing, right? Mm. And they, um, Kevin Barry said, oh, we've got this uh, light heavyweight, so you're much taller than him, but 
come down, like have a little bit of a, a sparring session with him. He's, he's fighting a big rangy lad. I was like, fucking hell. Yeah, right. Flown him down from Auckland. I'm in Christchurch, this big kind of hurrah. I'm training for three or four weeks for this. 30 seconds in, I didn't even know you could go down with a kidney shot. I've, <laughs> I couldn't get up. I was done. As in, I thought I had an opportunity just to go two or three rounds. But I was like, mate, come on, you don't hit someone who's never fought with a body shot. <laughs> I've never in my life, you know, not trained for it, didn't have anyone smashing medicine balls on me. But I might give the KSI Misfits. I don't even know what no, that is. No, go for it. K- KSI Misfits. Um, KSI is KSI, and he started his Misfits shows, which are they're boxing shows. I haven't seen one yet, but... It's just like not, white, it's white collar, it's isn't white it? Collar, yeah. It's white collar, yeah. It's unlicensed boxing. Some but it's called it unlicensed anymore because that sounds a bit like Bricktop in, uh, you know, Bricktop Snatch. But it's uh, you'll be safe. You'll be fine. If it's like Snatch, I don't mind. If I get to look that cool and that shredded, which I won't, with the light folding down, I might do. I ain't doing that. I don't know. What about you? Are you? Is there any chance? I know. I like to say never say never, but it feels like never really. Um what would do it one of these you see Carl Frotch is on about Jake Paul and he's got to beat Anderson Silva to get there like there's some big money to be made in that would something like that interest you yeah well you know uh, uh, this is a never say never who knows what 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 money will get you uh, back on the road but it's uh, yeah I'm I, I I don't do any boxing training i haven't thrown a punch since i retired really in 2018 yeah not even not even like when you've done a couple of little the mirror. fake shadow boxing promo video things but i don't shadow box in the mirror i go to my amateur club whenever i can and i take the I coach down there now so i get the pads out and i teach the guys and again that's really good fun for me and it keeps my my eye in i feel like i know more about boxing now than i did when i was fighting but we go for, I'll take him over the hills on a Sunday morning and I can't do a lap without dying on the hill. So I'm thinking, do I, I've got to have to shift some serious timber just to get fit enough to be content with the amount of punch output that would, would you know, be sufficient enough for to not be embarrassing. Uh, I just, I, I don't think I've got it. I don't, I don't, I don't want it. No, you don't need it. Your podcast so, is going to podca- explode. Podcast it's is take good off. fun. Yeah. You can talk about it without yeah. getting punched in the face now. So that's, that's a dream. But, um, yeah, I'll still live by the never say never. And I also live by, um, you know, I'm only eight weeks off shreds. I'm only eight weeks off full fitness. So uh, eight weeks off a comeback. And as long as I don't test that theory, I have no reason to doubt it. Well, maybe me and you can headline the KSI Misfits. Yeah. <laughs> See what happens. Last time, George, just promo your podcast. Again, I'm not just saying that because you're here. It's, for me, the best boxing podcast to listen to with the guests, insight, referees, uh, trainers, fighters. Mm. And the guy that you do it with, Deck, he's he's great as well. He's got a great voice. Yes, thank you, Jim. So, yeah, me and Deck, we are out every week, usually every Wednesday, and we'll have a boxing-related uh, guest on the show where we have a little deep dive into a boxing-related subject. So whether that be, we've had Frank Warren on talking about New Age promoting, we've had Carl Froch on talking about knowing it was going to be his last fight, we've had more technical episodes with Shane McGuigan talking about pad work as a coach, or Chris Billum-Smith, the former cruiserweight uh, European champion, talking about inside fighting. So And it's fun because I get to talk to them a little bit more... Um, in depth than than you know the usual journal will get a chance to 
these are hopefully timeless episodes. It's not topical. You know, every now and again we'll have one where we're talking about the weekend's action or looking ahead. But really, these are ones that are going to stick forever. And if you're a fan of boxing or a fan of sport, then I, I'd love to get you involved. Join the club. You've only got to listen to join the club, the George Groves Boxing Club podcast. Absolutely love it. Well, I'm a big fan, as you might be aware from listening to this podcast. So St. George Groves, thanks very much, mate. This has been my favourite podcast, so thank you. Oh, thank you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.